This is Ben and Nick, and you're listening to Colorful Conversations, a podcast hosted by Wesley Prep 4th graders. We are just kids learning how to find common ground. Today, you aren't even going to believe who we have on our show. Let me give you some hints. He is from El Paso. He has been in a punk rock band. He graduated from Columbia University, and he was a U.S. representative for Texas from 2013 to 2018. He currently teaches a class at Texas State University. If you haven't figured it out, our guest today is Mr. Beto O'Rourke. Listen in as he shares everything from where to find the best fried pies in Texas to what he does when he faces the challenge. We are so grateful for the time and care Mr. O'Rourke invested in this conversation. It is one we will not forget. Thank you, Mr. O'Rourke. All right, here we are. Welcome. Hello, Mr. O'Rourke. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, Cosmo, thanks for having me out. I'm really looking forward to talking with you all. Well, we are so excited to have you, and we want to go ahead and get started and not waste a minute of your time. So we're going to let you say a few words, and then I will let my kids start asking some questions. Okay. That sounds great. That Thank sounds you. Great. Well, thanks for having me out, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from you all. And I, I think, Ms. Cosmo, this is a great use of time. And I'm very, very happy to be doing this and looking forward to what I learned. My name, for those of you who I haven't met before, is Beto O'Rourke. And I live here in El Paso, Texas, which is the westernmost county and city in the state of Texas. So we're, unlike you all, we're in the mountain time zone. So we're, it's an hour earlier where I am right now. We're in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains. We're in the Chihuahuan Desert. And we're right on the Rio Grande River, which connects us with Mexico and Ciudad Juarez. And in fact, El Paso and Juarez together form the biggest international community in the world. There's 3 million people who live in these two communities that are connected here, Juarez and and El Paso. It's just a wonderful place to live. And it's where my wife, Amy, and I are raising our kids. We have a a 14-year-old in eighth grade named Ulysses. We have a 12-year-old in seventh grade named Molly, and we have a 10-year-old in fourth grade here in El Paso named Penny. And so we're, we're really excited to be in this community and to have the chance to just have so many great friends and neighbors and and folks that we've had a chance to work with over the years here. So that's a little bit about me. I've, I've been in office. I've been a member of Congress, and I've run for other offices. But right now, you know, probably my most important job is is being a dad and working with my wife to try to raise good human beings, which is, I'm sure, what your parents and your teachers are are doing with you all. So I'm looking forward to getting to, to know you and to learn more about you. So I'll turn it over to Ms. Tuzano and, and just be very happy to answer any questions you might have. During your campaign for Senate in 2017 and 18, you visited all 250 counties in the state of Texas. What were some of the highlights of your trip across the state? Yeah, Adrian, so there's actually 254 counties. So there's four more there. We don't want to leave anybody out. And it was awesome. It was, it was in, in some ways, a big adventure to try to, to go to each and every single one of these counties and meet the people in them and get to know them really well. I remember the last county that we visited, the 254th county, north of you all in Cook County in a city called Gainesville. They had a big celebration because they knew it was my the last county that I was going to visit. And they hosted us at the old Santa Fe Railroad train station. 
and they had you know a band and lots of people came out and there were flags waving and a big cake that somebody baked for the occasion and i just really loved the the excitement and the energy and the spirit there and it so happens adrian that they make the best fried pies that I've ever had. Fried pies are apparently a big thing in Cook County and in Gainesville, Texas. And so I remember having a, a fried apple pie. It was just one of the best things I've, I've ever eaten in my life. So moments like that one, and then just getting to meet people in really small cities, in really big towns, who lived in apartment buildings, who lived out on ranches, and, and some folks who you know don't have a home and are, are sleeping under a bridge you know, in Houston or in Austin or, or in Dallas. Tried to meet them all and, and really wasn't an issue for me, whether they were Republicans or Democrats or independents or anything. I just I just wanted to meet the people in Texas. So I that was my favorite part of it, Adrian, just getting to meet so many good people. Before the next question, we actually one fun thing is we know one of your favorite stops because it's one of our favorite places, too, which was Bonton Farm. We partnered with Bonton. We do something called the Common Ground Experiment. And we partnered with them a few years ago and made a cookbook with them. And it's been one of our favorite places ever since. And one cool thing is that you talked about with Darren was now turned into a house bill when he talked to you about the problem with not having, not being able to get your driver's license when you are just coming out of being incarcerated and how that is so problematic in terms of trying to start your life over. So he was just on our podcast and told my kids about House Bill 569, right as we're learning about the legislative process. So my kids then, some of them wrote their representative saying that they support House Bill 569. And just yesterday, we watched it pass on the floor which was such a cool full circle. And then today we're talking to you when a couple years ago, you and he were talking about it. So we're like, we saw this full circle thing. So that was kind of cool. That is anyway, so cool. Yeah. That's, so, that That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry, Amara, go ahead. The focus of our podcast is learning how to build common ground with people who have different experiences or viewpoints than our own. How do you work to build common ground during this time? Um, Amara, that's a great question. You know, I think all of us, myself included, could do more and could try to do a better job to, to see things the way that others see them, and especially those who've had different experiences in their lives from the ones that we've had, who grew up in a different place or even a different country, who maybe pray differently than we do or love differently than we do or belong to a different political party than the one that we belong to. And I think the best way to do that that I have found, and I'm no expert, and you might be more of one than I am, and so I should listen to you, but what's worked for me is just listening to people and not assuming anything about them. And so picking up the phone and calling somebody or knocking on their door or you know asking to meet with them. And Amara, when I was in Congress, I was there as a Democrat, but more importantly, I was there as an American who just happens to be a Democrat. And I served with a lot of other Americans who were happened to be Democrats and happened to be Republicans. And I tried to look at, I tried to look at these colleagues of mine in that way. And it allowed me to understand things from their perspective and to work to get some things done. And so there, there were several things I was able to accomplish as a Democrat, even though my party was in the minority, meaning we couldn't, I couldn't get anything passed 
if I was only able to persuade Democrats to vote for, I needed to persuade Republicans to vote for it as well. And I couldn't persuade Republicans to vote for it unless I took the time to meet with them and share with them what I was working on and why I thought it was important for the country. And then to listen to them and get their feedback. And they may say, hey, Beto, I like what you're trying to do here, but have you thought about taking this different approach to the problem? And I might say, well, you know what? That, that could work too. Let's, let's change this bill that we're working on to include your suggestions. And that would allow us to make a compromise where each of us gave a little bit and arrive at a consensus where both of us agree on something that is, is a shared position. And it allows us to find that common ground to move forward. And so that's what's worked for me in the past. But I agree with you. It's a, it's a difficult time to do that because the country's very divided right now. And yet it doesn't have to be. And, and we can decide that we're going to try to overcome that by working with and listening to people who think and maybe act differently than, than we do. So that's the way that I'd approach it. But thanks for the question. It's really good. Amara, do you have any thoughts on that, that that you want to share with me? Anything that's worked for you? I mean, kind of. But, well, I sometimes think of other people's, like, how that happens. And that's basically all I do. I just think of what other people think. Have you ever had a disagreement with somebody, a friend or a classmate or a sibling, and... You feel very strongly one way, they feel very strongly another way, and then you're able to, to work through it or finally agree on that. Has, have you ever had any experience with that? Yeah, I have. And what's worked best? How have you made it so that you can agree on something? Well, sometimes we think of different ways to like approach that idea, and then someone eventually wins. Someone eventually convinces the other person about the right way to do it. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's certainly part of it. Well, thank you for the question and, and for answering my question. What can we do to improve voter turnout in Texas? You know, Texas is the hardest state in the country to vote in. So every other state, pick a state, Idaho, Alaska, Hawaii, New York, California, it, it's easier in every single one of those states to vote. In fact, in the last election, 2020, 7 million of our fellow Texans who were eligible to vote did not vote. And there are a variety of reasons, but we make it hard by not allowing people to register to vote online. So you may know this, but in order to vote, you first have to register to vote. You have to basically tell the county that you live in who you are, where you live, you know, prove that you are eligible to vote. And then they, they issue you a voter registration card. And that allows you to vote. Most states allow you to do that online. You all probably do a lot in your life online. You know, you can watch movies online. You can order things from an online store online. You can renew your driver's license online. You can do a lot online, but you can't register to vote online. So we could change that. That would make it a lot easier for, for millions of people who today in Texas aren't registered to easily get registered. And then we can make it perhaps a little bit easier for people who don't live close to a polling location, a voting location, by setting up more polling places. We can make sure that they are open for longer because, as we know, not everyone 
who works, works a nine to five job. Some people work two jobs to make ends meet. So they may work nine to five and then at five o'clock or six o'clock, they may start their second job and they may not get off that job till 2 a.m. And making sure that there's a polling place open when they get off work, that's important. Helping those who live with disabilities and who may not be able to easily get to a polling place to vote by mail and to, to do it without any hassles. These are all ideas that could make voting a lot easier. And then one that I think is especially pertinent to you all and, and to where you'll be soon in eight years or so is something known as automatic voter registration, which means that when you turn 18, you would automatically be registered to vote and, and you'd be ready to go and cast your ballot in the next election. Some states have automatic voter registration. And I think if Texas did, it would make it a lot easier for a lot of people, especially a lot of young people, to vote in future elections. Will you tell us about Powered by People? I'd be happy to. So we started this group, Powered by People, maybe a year and a half ago, essentially to work on this issue, to, to make it easier for people to register to vote and easier for people to cast their ballots once they're registered. And so part of the way we've done this is we've reached out to unregistered Texans and help them through a pretty complicated voter registration process. And last year, we helped 196,000 people across the state register to vote. And then we also reach out to existing voters to remind them that an election is coming up and to answer any questions they have about participating in the election. And last year, our group, Powered by People, primarily through volunteers, so people who don't get paid anything to do this, we made more than 75 million calls to Texas voters. You know, just calling, is this Ms. Cousineau? Ms. Cousineau, my name's Beto O'Rourke. I'm calling from Powered by People. I just want to let you know that early voting has started in your area, and I'm happy to tell you where your nearest polling location is so that you can vote easily and conveniently and answer any questions you might have. Those kind of calls. So that's the work that Powered by People does. We want to make it easier for people to vote. Great question. Thank you. Thank you. You have done a lot of things in your life already. If you could create your perfect dream job, what would it be? Oh, you know, I really like what I'm doing now. I, uh, you know, one of the few silver linings of this pandemic is that I've been working from home, like maybe a, a lot of your families have been able to do. Not everyone can, but we've been lucky enough that we can work from home. And I've just spent so much more time with my kids than I can ever remember spending. Probably more time with them than they want me to spend with them. But compared to when I was in Congress and I would have to travel to Washington, D.C. every week and then travel home every weekend and see them briefly and then leave again. And I did that every week for six years. To just be home is pretty nice. So I, I don't know how much I can improve upon this job. But any job for me, any job where I have a chance to help people and be part of something that's doing good in the world, whether that's in elected office when I was in Congress or on the city council, whether that was when I was a small business owner, or whether it's as a, a dad and a volunteer right now helping to get people registered to vote. I'm, I'm pretty happy with any job that, that allows me to help others. So I think I've got the job right now. But thank you for the question. What, let me ask you really quickly. What's your dream job? Maybe to be an artist. What kind of artist? Maybe a painter. I love that. I think that's great. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you paint and what you create and what you come up with. 
Thank you for the, the question. You're welcome. So tell us what you were like when you were our age. When I was in fourth grade here in El Paso, I was at Mesita Elementary, and I was really into music. So I loved, still do, the Beatles and just listening to all their records on my mom's record player. I loved skateboarding and, you know, I had a, a Tony Hawk skateboard and loved, you know, riding that to school. I loved being on my bike. I loved being outdoors, going on, on backpacking trips. And I, I loved to read. I just loved reading about the world and what was going on and reading about Peter the Great in, in Russia or reading about the history of Irish immigration to the United States. So I was interested in how the O'Rourke family came to America. You know, I guess I'd say I was just really kind of curious about how things work and how things came to be. But I was a pretty shy kid and obviously trying to, to figure things out. But yeah, that's those are some things I was into. And I like you all, it sounds like, as from what I can tell from this cousin, I was super lucky and that I had amazing teachers at my at the schools I went to, including at Mesita Elementary and El Paso High School. And those teachers took all the curiosity and the interest that I had and, you know, made sure that I was learning about things that were fascinating to me and directing that into my schoolwork and helping me to overcome some challenges, especially in math. I always struggled at math. But I, I really lucked out. And a lot of that has to do with the, the great teachers that I had along the way. Thanks for asking. What is your biggest lesson you have learned about yourself and your purpose over this past year? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a deep one. Well, I think, I think it would go back to the last question or the question before the last question. I just If I am helping people, if I'm part of something bigger than myself, then I'm happy. In the short term, if I play a video game or I eat a candy bar or I watch a funny video on YouTube, I mean, I'm happy. It makes me laugh or it satisfies my appetite or it distracts me. And that's one kind of happiness. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes we get out of balance in our lives and we have too much of that kind of happiness, of the stuff that makes us happy right in the moment. But then is you can sometimes feel a little empty afterwards. like. Man, that candy bar tasted good going down, but it didn't really satisfy my my appetite. And I maybe I feel a little sick to my stomach or I love playing video games for the last hour or two, but my eyes feel burned out and I don't know what, what I really accomplished. When I volunteer at a food bank or if I go knocking on people's doors to help them register to vote, or I was just at a immigrant shelter in Laredo, Texas, meeting families who just traveled 2,000 miles, kids your same age who just walked and rode buses and rode on top of trains for 2,000 miles with nothing. I mean, like the clothes on their back and that's it. And, and if, I, if there's some way I can help them, that's a, that's a deeper, more fulfilling happiness than the happiness I get when I'm just making myself happy, if that makes sense. And so I think that's related to, my, to purpose and where I feel good in life and what I want to do more of. I want to, I want to be part of an effort bigger than just making myself happy. I want to make things better for as many people as I can. And there are a lot of people who live their lives that way. And, and many do a better, far, far better job than I do in doing that. But that's what I'm shooting for. That's what I, that's what I'd like to be able to do in my life. It's a great question. Thank you. That's a big one. That's a great answer too, right guys? 
Nothing wrong with candy bars. What is the hardest thing you have ever done, and how did you accomplish it? And what advice do you have for us when we encounter hard things? A lot of hard stuff in life, right? You, you all know that already. So I, I mentioned math was really hard for me, but I had great teachers who, who were patient with me. And, and my parents who, you know, held me accountable and said, hey, hey, Beto, you know, you, you've got to you've got to find a way to do better. And if you need to go to school earlier and spend more time, you know, practicing this stuff and we're going to help you do that. But I got through it and I got through it by just working hard and, and not giving up and never thinking that my point of failure. I Let's say I failed a math test, which I did many times, you know, or I got a D in math for the, the semester, which definitely happened to me. Sometimes you're tempted to think, well, shoot, this is this is me for the rest of my life. I'll never get better at this. This is always the way it's going to be. And listening to those around you, your parents, your teachers, your friends, remind you that it, it's going to get better. And it's not necessarily easy. And it's not like it's going to somehow just magically happen on its own. It's going to take a lot of effort from you. But if you stay in it and if you believe in yourself and if you believe that you can get through it and if you do the work necessary – you will. At least I found that to be the case. And I mean, in, in my adult life, I've been through really hard political campaigns, some which I've won, some which I've lost. Always, always I was tempted to give up and just, you know, say, I'm, I'm done with this. I just can't take this anymore. But always, always I stayed in at least as long as I possibly could until I was, you know, until we either won or we lost or we were forced to to leave because we just didn't have any more money to run the campaign anymore, as happened in the presidential. So that's, you know, for whatever it's worth, that's that's kind of worked for me, is just you just keep pushing ahead because if you give up on yourself, it's really hard to, to move forward again. And so just, you know, there's a great line from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says, fly if you can. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forward. And so sometimes you're going to be flying in life. You're just going to be naturally talented at, at basketball or soccer or math. And, and you're just going to be zooming past your classmates. Other times you're going to be crawling. You know, it just life's just going to knock you down. And it, you're, you're just going to have a really hard time in English class or a really hard time in sports or a really hard time in, in something else that's important to you. You've got to make sure that no matter what, you at least keep crawling, even if it knocks you down, move forward. So I don't know, to, to the degree that that's helpful, that's worked for me. And that's the way that I still approach things at the age of 48 years old. There's still things that, that knock me down, but I say, hey, I just got to keep crawling until I can get up again. So Great question. And I am I'm so sorry, Miss Cousin. I have a, a phone call starting right now that I that I cannot miss, that I'm pledged to attend. Oh, and so I may need to jump off. Okay. We we are so very grateful for that the time you've given us. Guys, aren't we so grateful? Mr. O'Rourke, thank you so much for giving us the time you gave us today. This has been such a blessing. So thank the, the you. The order is mine. And the blessing oh. was received by me. You all have asked such great, important, fundamental questions. And for the few of you that I asked a question of, great answers back. And so I believe in you all and I expect greatness from you. And, and I'm already seeing greatness even over this Zoom call at this great distance between us. And I hope once we're all vaccinated and ready, I get to see you in person yes. and, and, and see the great work that you're doing. So okay, we're gonna... please stay in touch. 
We'll tag you when we get this edited, and you'll have to shout us out when we get our podcast edited. <laughs> so you got it. Okay. It. All right. Thank, Thank you. All. Appreciate you. Take yes. care. Adios. Adios. Bye bye. Didn't we tell you it was good? Yup. We want to thank Mr. O'Rourke for this meaningful moment. In addition, we thank Mrs. O'Rourke, Ms. Cano, and Mrs. Ruff for coordinating this special time for us. What a gift. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Until next time, keep the conversation going and keep, keep it colorful. colorful.